Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey everybody, welcome to our Bible study tonight. We are glad to have you with us. Uh, it's uh, Wednesday night, so we're going to continue our our work in our study through the story of the Old Testament. If you've ever um, if you've ever struggled with figuring out what you want in a leader, then tonight's Bible study might kind of speak to you a little bit. If you've ever looked around the nation, looked around our country, or maybe even looked around your community and thought, my goodness, I'm just one person. Um, how much difference can I really make? Tonight's Bible study might be for you. If you've ever gone through a, a time where you're like, you know, I just seem to really be struggling with the decisions I make and and getting good counsel. Maybe tonight's Bible study will speak to you as well. You see, all three of those things and some others we're going to cover tonight as we begin to work through the historical books. So welcome. We are glad to have you with us. If this is your first time on our feed, I'm Pastor Barry from Souls Harbor Church, and uh, we have been or this is our fourth week working through the story of the Old Testament. Hey, we'd love to have you guys engage with us tonight. I see we've got a number of people on uh, our our uh, feed, and I'm happy for that. That's exciting. Uh, but we'd love to have you engage, so feel free to comment along the way. Uh, beyond just say hello, if you have a thought or a question, throw it up there. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Also, make sure you share and like and uh if you haven't already done it, we'd love to have you join also our Plainfield, uh, not our Plainfield group, but um, our Plainfield page, our Souls Harbor Plainfield page. Uh, that way you could get our, our Sunday uh, sermons as well. Hey, let's pray and we want to get into our study tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Uh, you're a good God and a, a gracious God and a God that teaches us as we study your word. And I pray tonight as we look at the word of God together that you would guide our thoughts, guide our steps. Holy Spirit, have a part in all that's said and done here tonight. Help me to speak the words that you would have spoken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's jump into this tonight a little bit and see what we can see. Let's take a moment and let's just revisit a little bit of last week's uh, study. We spent some time last week, again, looking at God's plan of restoration and how he, coming out of the first couple of weeks, how the fall had, had caused mankind to be separated from God and, and God put into place a plan of restoration. Last week, we also looked at those mo that moment in time as this plan unfolds and moves forward. Uh, of where Israel decided we want a king. And the problem wasn't that they wanted a king, if you remember. The problem was they wanted a king so they could be like all the nations around them. We're actually going to find that pop up again tonight. They continued to pursue the nations around them, and it caused them, a, caused them a lot of problems. And then last week, we particularly focused in on King Saul, King David, and we finished up with King Solomon. Um, and, and talking about their lives and how King Saul was picked because he was selected because he's the kind of man that the people wanted. And they did it based upon his uh, looks, his stature. He was uh, handsome. He was tall. He was built like what they perceived a king for being. And then God came along after King Saul failed and fell. 
and he said, I'm selecting another man. He selected David. And remember, David was chosen because of the condition of his heart. Now, he wasn't a perfect man by any means, and he had some really big issues along the way, but yet it, God looked at his heart, and his heart's desire was to pursue God. And then we came to Solomon, and Solomon started out kind of uh, from the beginning almost a little complicated. Uh, he, he really desired to serve God, but he was always struggling with his attraction to women. He had like 700 wives, a number of concubines beyond that. He made the decision to marry outside of um, the, the, the people of faith, which God had said don't do, and it caused him a lot of problems as it came to the end of his time. And let me just touch on this briefly because it'll really tie into what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, King Solomon loved many foreign women. I talked about that, and you see a little bit of those statistics there in 1 Kings 11. Uh, but his wives caused him to go after Ashtaroth, uh, the goddess of the Sidonians, and a number of other false gods. And he built altars for his wives and places for his wives to worship their gods along the way. And it got so bad at the end of his life, towards the end of his reign in his life, the Lord was angry with Solomon, we're told in verse 9. Therefore the Lord said, since you have kept my covenant and my statue, or you have not kept my covenant and my statue, this this is what God said. Now remember, this, this covenant is God's plan, God's process to restore humanity to right relationship with him. So this is a big deal for him to say this. Since you've not kept my covenant and my statue, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you and, and, and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I'm not going to tear away the entire kingdom, but I will give one tribe, and we're going to find out that tribe is Judah. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David. So we see a little bit of, of what we went through last week and how we got to where we are today. Solomon has died, and somebody, his son, is stepping in here. We're going to see here in a moment. And God has already spoke prophetically uh, to Solomon before he died that the kingdom is not going to stay with your family. Only one tribe will stay with your family. Now tonight as we get into this, we're going to look primarily at what are described as the historical books. Now, you know, anybody, including me, that hears historical is going to think, well, it would make sense that this is about history. And it is. But I want you to notice this tonight as we look at, at these uh, six books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles are some of the places we're going to be tonight. I, I want to uh, throw out at you a quote from Winston Churchill and use it to explain part of what the historical books are about. Winston Churchill is the one who said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And part of the reason that we're given the historical books, in addition to the reality that they are a history, is so we can learn from their mistakes. And I hope tonight as we work through uh, the progression of Israel and their kings after Solomon, and we see God's plan, um, it, it just seems to be at risk more than one time. Um, we can learn as a people, we can learn as individuals from these historical books so we don't end up repeating the same things that the, the people of Israel did. Now tonight in particular we're going to look at some failures of Israel's leaders. We're going to look at, at the kingdom divided. Uh, we're looking tonight covenant and divisions, kind of the overall arching theme. We're going to look at the fall of two kingdoms then, the northern and the southern. And then we're going to see how God still protects his covenant, or at least we're going to set things up uh, for how he brings it about and keeps it going next week a little bit. Um, I've got a few graphics in here you guys can look at, uh, a few pictures you can look at. 
um, that are just archaeological in nature. This is the platform at the main gate of Dan, and it's where leaders, a lot of times in the city, uh, a city, the leaders would come, and this is where they would stand or sit, and it served as a public place, often as a courthouse, just to give you a little bit of an idea uh, as we read through some scripture what that might have looked like. And let's start tonight with this, leaving God given boundaries, okay? Um, I want to take a moment and I want to touch on how did Israel get to the place where they were no longer following after God? Uh, How did they get to the place where God had to bring judgment on them and the covenant was broken? Now, we, we saw a little bit of it with Solomon last week. Solomon, as the king, pursued all these wives who were from foreign nations. He was making alliances with all these nations, and these wives pulled him away from Yahweh, away from God, and towards their false god. So we already see a piece of that, but there's another piece tonight that I want you to see, uh, and it comes from the time uh, early on in the nation of Israel. This goes all the way back prior to the kings. I'm going to play a video clip for you tonight and let you uh, take a look at this and see how Israel opened themselves up for failure. So watch this with me tonight. The city of Dan was never supposed to be part of Israel. During the division of the Promised Land, the allotment for the tribe of Dan was nowhere near the northernmost city of Israel. Instead, it was located in the southern part of the Promised Land around the city of Jaffa, bordering the lands of the Philistines. After the Danites were unable to permanently settle the land outlined for them by Joshua, they chose to relocate into new lands that didn't belong to any of their kinfolk. The tribe set their eyes to the far north on the edge of the tribal allotment of Naphtali to a city known as Laish. The city was an ideal spot for a capital for the tribe's new settlement. It held extremely powerful natural springs that provided an abundance of water, lush foliage, and wildlife. Those same springs fed and eventually became the Jordan River in the miles to the south. In Judges 18, the Danites took Laish for themselves with a force of 600 men, establishing it as the newfound capital of the territory of Dan. However, what the Danites did next created a ripple effect that would plague Israel for roughly the next 500 years. Judges 18.30 reveals that after arriving in the new territory, the Danites soon incorporated idolatry into their worship. The likes of this unified system of idolatry had not been seen among the Israelites since the golden calf was created in the wilderness as the Israelites were on their way to the promised land in Exodus 32. This introduction of impure worship would permeate the nation of Israel and become a socially accepted norm. Dan would become a hub of culturally idolatrous systems, leading the city to eventually become one of the central points of worship following the breakaway of the northern kingdom of Israel. This location drew people away from the proper worship in the temple in Jerusalem, God's prescribed place of worship, and into a corrupted form of worship. Rather than the nation being unified in worship around God and his temple, division crept into Israel through the worship at various locations like Dan. 
Many years after the tribe of Dan began the idol worship there, King Jeroboam set up a golden calf and an altar at Dan's highest point, attended by non-Levitical priests who were unfit to serve. The high place contained a large elevated platform surrounded by a wall with Jeroboam's idol on top. Today, you can see the metal frame that was erected to represent the platform that would have held the golden calf. Jeroboam's act was a continuation of a perverted and wicked worship system begun by the Danites. And it didn't stop there. The high place continued development over time by later wicked kings, while many in Israel persisted in disobedience through worship. The division of God's people through idol worship at places like this played a key role in the eventual destruction in both the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC and the kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. Today, we can see the ruins of this ungodly form of worship, but no idols and no worshipers remain. It serves as a reminder, while that those things have passed away, true worship in God remains. And we see what was the steps that took place that led Israel to the point, as we're going to get through tonight, where God had to say, you've broken the covenant. And I, I want to approach this this way, and I hope you guys can throw out some answers. We always struggle with our time lag here. Go ahead and post some thoughts if you have them there. Go ahead and comment along the way. Here, here's the thing we can learn, okay? Israel initially got into trouble all the way back in Judges when they went beyond the boundaries that God had set. God said, these are the boundaries of your land. You you are to go here, and, and this is this is the edge. Don't go any further. And when they moved beyond the boundaries, they put themselves in a place where all of a sudden um, they were tempted and they were tried and they were pushed and they, and they were pulled and they ultimately succumbed to the temptation of other nations' idols and other nations' ways of worship and other nations' ways of being righteous and being holy. And the question is, what God-given boundaries have Americans gone beyond? And I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. What boundaries as, have we as Americans pushed and destroyed and, and, and said, this is okay, but, but now we can go this far? Because I, I believe there's a lot of places culturally right now where America, Americans are pushing boundaries, God-given boundaries. And, and, and the concern is, the lesson we need to learn is, just as with Israel, if we push those boundaries and go beyond what God has said is acceptable and is righteous, we set ourselves up for the same kind of process where God has to say, um, I love you, but enough, there has to be judgment, there has to be justice. So you guys throw those questions out there, or those comments out there for me tonight, if you've got any, any thoughts along that line. What God-given boundaries of Americans gone beyond? And we could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about relationships. We could talk about marriage. We could talk about uh, entertainment. We could talk about violence. We could talk about any number of uh, things that, you know, if we go back 20 years ago, would have not been acceptable in America primarily because we had, we'll call it Judeo-Christian values that we've now walked away from. And I wonder how much we are setting ourselves up for the day 
uh, God will say, I have to bring justice on America, just as I've done every other people that has come along. You can even tack onto that and add onto that this, that whenever we step beyond God's boundaries, it's not just a matter of God bringing justice and bringing judgment. His boundaries are there for a reason. It's there for our protection. It's there to keep us as strong and healthy and safe as possible as a people. And when we go beyond those, we open ourselves up for a lot of problems. And we see a lot of those problems taking place in our nation even now because because we've moved so so far beyond those boundaries. We could talk about family boundaries for sure. Many of the, the problems with um, uh, unwanted pregnancies and violence and prison and 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 uh, drug use and, and uh, the statistics and the data is there. It's so much because we have so many families that no longer have uh, a, a healthy relationship between a mom and a dad or even a mom and a dad involved. And time and time again, the statistics and the data shows that it causes problems in the family and we begin to see those. So I think there's something there we need to learn. We as a people need to do our very best to stay within the boundaries that God gives us. And I see a bunch of you guys throwing those out there, those comments. So thank you for that. I, I, that's, that's some great thoughts tonight and I, I believe that's so true. Let's keep going here. You guys keep commenting along the way. When we come to the place where King Solomon has died, he has passed away, and Israel is now looking for the next king, their initial, uh, their initial desire was one of Solomon's sons, and it was Rehoboam. And we're going to talk about the two Boams here, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, so hang with me on this. Rehoboam uh, was, was Solomon's son. He was the next in line to be king. And we're going to read a lot of scripture, and I wish there was a way to condense this down, and honestly, I have as much as possible. So just be patient with me, hang with me here, and let's look at this together tonight if we can. So Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. He was going to be king of Israel, okay? Good thing. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Now here's a couple things you need to know to make this make sense, okay? Uh, when Solomon was king, the, he, he, he chose, he made a decision uh, to take many the, mo the majority of the northern kingdom the northern tribes, and he made them not slaves, but very subservient. They did a lot of really hard tasks. He was a hard taskmaster uh, towards them. And Jeroboam had, had, had gotten so fed up and stood up to him and actually fled to Egypt um, because of the abuse that King Solomon had put upon the northern tribes. So now that Rehoboam has come to power, Jeroboam, who was somewhat of a rebel in the north, has come back from Egypt. But still at this point, the nation of Israel is going to put, Re or it, it, thinking about and planning on putting Rehoboam up as the next king. And we're told in verse 3, And all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go for three days and then come again to me. They came to him and said, Look, Rehoboam, we will serve you. We will make you king. We will follow your lead. All we need you to do is to stop being so um, abusive and stop being so um, over the top. Stop treating us as servants and treat us as people. And Rehoboam said basically, okay, let me think about it for three days and I'll get you an answer. 
Then King Rehoboam, verse 6, took counsel with the old man who had stood before Solomon. So Rehoboam did something that I would call a wise thing. He went to those who had experience. He went to those that had um, some life experience, that had lived through some things, that had been through some things. Those had served Solomon, and he, sa and, and he said to them, How do you advise me? And this is what they said to him. If you will be a servant to this people. Now notice this. They said, King, leader, uh, head of the nation, if you will choose to serve the people, be a servant to them, uh, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. That was the advice of, of those that were elders, the old men as it's described. But Rehoboam abandoned their counsel, and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. Now, here's the thing to think about, okay? I, if, if you struggle with making right decisions and you struggle with counsel, just notice what we can learn from Rehoboam. He went to those that had experience. He went to those who had lived life. He went to those that had been through some stuff. He went to those who had accomplished the, some things, and they gave him one set of counsel. And then he went to a group that had lived the same life experiences that he had, that had gone through the the same things that he had that was the same age that he was and he sought their counsel and not surprisingly when he went to his friends who had his background they gave him the same advice that he probably came up with on his own and they said um, tell them tell the people that your father laid on them a heavy yoke but you're going to add to that tell them that your father disciplined them with whips but I'm going to discipline you with scorpions in other words you think my dad was bad Wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. That was the counsel of the young men. And the king, he chose to take the counsel of the young men, and he answered harshly, forsaking the counsel of the old men. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. In other words, this was something Rehoboam had done. This was a decision Rehoboam made based upon poor counsel, but it was also a process of God fulfilling his word where he said, the kingdom will be pulled from you, Solomon, because of your sin. Um, let's read a, a little further. Uh, we're going to find that this counsel that Rehoboam took, it actually divides the kingdom. And this is how we see the 10, 11 northern tribes pulled from the, 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 the line of David. And when Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered, what portion do we have in David? In other words, listen, Rehoboam, we have no inheritance in your uh, grandfather David or your father Solomon. We have no inheritance in the son, inheritance in the son of, Jer of Jesse, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over all the forced labor. So he sent he sent the taskmaster back to the north. He was trying to assert himself and say, look, just because you say I'm not king doesn't mean anything. And he, and he sent uh, the taskmaster to the north to put these people in line. And we're told that all Israel stoned him to death. This man was stoned to death, and King Rehoboam had to quickly—he um, had to quickly get in his chariot and flee to Jerusalem for his own life. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, and we see this um, from from this situation. He took bad counsel. He made a poor choice in who he was going to go to as far as deciding who he's going to follow and, and whose advice he's going to follow. We read then in verse 20, And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, 
but the tribe of Judah only. Now, I got a couple questions here I want you guys to think about, and I would like love to see you comment if you can. But I, I want you to also think about this. Realize th this is still about God's process God's plan to restore humanity into a right relationship with him. And that's going to happen, remember, through a covenant uh, that was given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes. And then when they came out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, that is still happening. But now God has taken them through King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And now we're to King Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, who is, is in that line where that covenant has been made, the Davidic covenant has been made, the Abrahamic covenant has been passed on, Rehoboam now uh, is only going to lead one tribe, and that is the tribe of Judah. Now, here's a couple of questions, a couple of thoughts. I'd love to hear your comments on if you want to throw them out here. That would be great. Can we learn something from Rehoboam's attitude toward his people? Because every one of us leads somewhere. We lead somebody. I, I as a pastor, have the privilege of leading this church. Um, some of you lead on the job. Many of you lead families. Some of you are involved in leadership in the community or community. Maybe maybe it's a, 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 an HOA. Maybe it's on a different level. Maybe it's uh, within the school system. We all lead somebody somewhere. And what can we learn from Rehoboam's attitude toward his people? I'd love to hear any comments you guys might have about that. Please uh, throw them up there. And the second question is, can we learn something from where he sought advice concerning governing? I think that's a really important question um, considering where we are as a nation right now. Um, just let uh, you guys go ahead and comment, I, I, but let me go ahead and give you some thoughts here as far as that first question goes. I, I noticed the counsel of the old men was, Rehoboam, put yourself out there as a servant. And see, I think that's the way all leaders ought to be, whether you're talking about the President of the United States, our Congress, um, whether you're talking about a local mayor or city council or school board, whether you're talking about a pastor, whether you're talking about whatever level of leadership, even within the family, we are to be servants, especially, especially those of us that are leading from a place of Christian values. Christ set the standard as a servant to those that, that uh, he led. And we also, if we will adopt that attitude of I'm here to serve rather than I'm here to be served, we certainly set ourselves up for a lot more success uh, and, and, and a whole lot less failure. And I would suggest with the second thing, there is value in having confidants. There is value in having people in your life that are your age, your experience, your background, um, and being able to go to them and sit down and have a conversation with them. There's value in that. I don't want to do away or give you the, the implication that there isn't any. However, when it comes to those moments in time where we have to make some really significant decisions, there's also value in going to those that have already been there. There's also value in going to those that have not only been there, but have come through what I'm going through um, and have done it with success. There is value in going to those that have lived some life instead of those that have lived no more life than I've lived. And I think as a nation right now, we really need to remember that. We have a lot of people that are wanting to um, completely throw out our system of government. They're wanting to move away from a republic, move away from capitalism. They, they want to describe it as evil. They want to create a whole new system, socialism, communism. 
uh, however you choose to go with it. But so often these people that are wanting to try these other methods, they don't have a good grasp of history. They don't know where it's been tried and failed. And then they themselves probably don't have any experience in building a government building a system that works. And we have to be really careful when we want to put ourselves out there and say, we need to tear down this system. We need to destroy this system. And we've got a better idea. Well, it's okay to have ideas, but you know, you probably ought to do something first before you really take on the level of uh, hubris, I guess, to be able to say, I can do it better than the founding fathers who, who have put in place a system that's lasted and steadily improved for 200 years, it's certainly something we need to think about because it's somewhat arrogant to say, um, I've got a four-year college education um, and I know how to create a country, create a nation, create a constitution and make it better than it's ever been. that's that's a little that's a lot of hubris. We have to be really careful with that, and maybe maybe we need to accomplish some things before we take take things to that point, saying we can tear it down and build it back up better. Just a thought. We can learn something from where we seek advice. Let's go on. This, this, what you see here in this picture are two pairs of standing stones. Um, it's, it's a shrine formation that happens in the, the area of Dan and, and pagan deities were worshipped there. Um, just an interesting picture. Let's look towards destruction um, to, tonight just a little bit. Uh, and we're going to split this week into two weeks. So I'm going to teach just a little bit further here and then we're going to make a break and we'll come back to the Kings and the historical books next week again. Um, let's, let's, let's jump ahead. We talked about Rehoboam in Judah. We talked about Jeroboam who became king of Israel uh, right after Solomon. Let's jump ahead in time to the time of another king of Judah, Manasseh. Now there were a number of kings, quite a few kings in between uh, Rehoboam and Manasseh, but let's just look tonight at Manasseh and see how this king moved Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, that was what they were called, and, and the northern 10, 11 kingdoms became called Israel. So Manasseh was 12 years old, king of Judah, uh, when he began to reign, and he reigned, reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. That is a long reign, 55 years in Jerusalem, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now here, here's another question for you tonight, okay? 50 years. In fact, over 50 years. That's how long Manasseh ruled. And the falling away that we're going to see take place, um, the falling away from God was probably a gradual process, probably not something that happened overnight in a day in a moment. Compromise happened slowly. And the question is this, how can the people of God in America avoid that gradual creep of sin? Because honestly, I mean, I'm 54 years old and I've watched it, you've watched it, we've seen it happen, and it seems as if it's accelerating as we move away from righteousness and away from holiness and away from God's stipulations of of what it looks like to to be a follower of Him. How can we avoid 
How can the people of God in America avoid that gradual creep of sin? And even within the church, how can we avoid it? And again, I'd love to have you comment out there. Um, I'm going to give you some thoughts here in just a moment, but you guys feel free to go ahead and throw some thoughts out there, some comments out there. This is really important. How do we avoid that? Because if not, we're going to find ourselves living out the history that Israel lived out and probably finding the same results in the end if we're not careful. How can the people of God in America avoid the gradual creep of sin? couple of thoughts, a couple of ideas. I think the first way is we, as the people of God in America, have got to make sure that we continue to have a living um, relationship with God. Okay, Not a thing where I go to church, I do religion, I, I, I go through the motions, because if that's all we have, it becomes very easy to be swayed slowly over time and allow sin to creep in and come to accept what culture accepts as okay. So I think the first thing is we have to make a decision individually, personally. God, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to spend time with you in prayer, time with you in worship. I'm going to live my life in a way that I'm aware of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm going to keep this relationship something that's a living, breathing thing, not just a ritual. That's the first thing. And I think the second thing goes down to this, and it's pastors, and it's preachers, and it's leaders, and, and it's, it's those that lead within the Christian community making the decision that we're going to speak the hard things, that we're going to put ourselves in the place of, and I don't mean this in, in a super spiritual or arrogant way, but we're going to put ourselves in the place of being the priest and the prophet that God has called us to be. And there is a certainly a piece of that where all Christians are priests and prophets in the New Testament, in, in the time that we live now. But we as leaders and pastors need to be making certain, making sure that we are preaching the Word of God in its completeness, in its totality. Um, we're preaching holiness. We're preaching righteousness. Even as culture says, what you're preaching is no longer acceptable. And we see this battle going on in a number of our denominations across America right now. We see entire denominations being split over issues that come down to basically this. Are we going to live up to holiness based upon what the culture says is right? Or are we going to live up to holiness based upon the word, what the Word of God says is right? And we're going to find out as we dig a little deeper into this in these coming uh, in this next week and, and a little bit more tonight that there were many prophets, many people, people speaking these things to Judah and to Israel, and they ignored it. They refused to listen to it, and we may find ourselves in that place in America as well. Um, but regardless, those of us that are in places of leadership, we had better make certain that we're speaking what God says speak rather than what culture says speak. Now, we can do it with love, we can do it with compassion, we can do it with understanding, but we better make sure we're standing up to the word, uh, standing up for the word of God as it is. Th those are just a couple of things that I think we can we can do and we can use that will help avoid that gradual creep of sin that we've certainly seen happen in our nation uh, up to this time. Let's read through uh, a little bit here of what went on with Manasseh, and then we're going to bring this to a close tonight, and we'll pick it up again next week. So Manasseh, all right, this is the king that really put Judah in the place where God said, that's it, no more. We're told in verse 3 of 2 Kings 21, 
he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So he was he was coming along after there had been a revival in Israel or in Judah. And, and, and his father had actually begun to pull the people back towards God. And Manasseh came along and wiped it out, rebuilt the high places. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord. He actually went into the temple, into the house of God and built altars there to false God. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. We read on in verse 6 that he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He carved the carved images of Asherah. He said in the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chose, I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. In other, in other words, he went into the house of God where God had said, this is my house, this is the house that I'm going to put my name to, and he built false idols there. Um, he he went on and, and he, he, he desecrated the temple, desecrated a number of places. Uh, verse 8, And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them. That was the promise of God that he violated. Verse 9 says, But they did not listen. All the prophets... All the leaders were speaking this, or many of them were speaking this, but they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And isn't that ironic that the nations that God had driven out in front of Israel, Israel, the, the whole group of people Israel I'm talking about now, both north and south, um, were actually to the place where they were doing more evil than those that were driven out before them. Not only that, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord said by his servant the prophet, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations, and has done all done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before me, and has made Judah also sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such a disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measure line of Samaria. And In other words, I'm going to judge Judah as I've already judged Israel, the, the northern kingdoms. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of the enemies. Now, don't miss this, okay? God has says, remember, this is about covenant. This is about the restoration of all humanity. And, and Judah has come to the place under the kingship of Manasseh where God has said, I'm going to forsake the remnant of my heritage. They've completely, they've completely walked away from the covenant, and now I'm going to bring judgment upon them. And, and the question that leads to me and you is, what is God going to do with the covenant? How is God going to bring about restoration? How is God going to be able to fulfill Genesis 12 where he said, I will bless all people through your family, Abraham? Because now all of a sudden we find ourselves left in a real problem, a real quandary here. And you'll have to stick around for future weeks to find out how God brings that about. Verse 15, because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Here's where I want to end tonight is with this thought. You guys can throw up your comments 
uh, if you like, love to have it. Are there any America, any sins in America that we're dealing with? Any, any, any is America dealing with any sins similar to those of Manasseh? Are we in this nation dealing with anything? Um, I, I will just throw you a, a couple up. Uh, desecration of the house of God. Uh, is that happening? Uh, I would say in some circumstances, absolutely. When the church sets themselves up and says, you know what, we know what the Word of God says. We're going to obey culture instead. We're going to accept this, th these relationships, and we're going to accept this form of marriage, and we're going to say this is okay, and God is just love and not justice, and God is just love and not holiness. Then I think in many ways we desecrate we desecrate the house of God. We could even spend some time tonight, and I won't go deep into it, but I want to give you this to think about. We're also told in the New Testament that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We become the temple of God ourselves when we become followers of Christ. And I wonder if there aren't ways where we find ourselves desecrating ourselves by some of the actions we take, some of the things that we've made legal and we've accepted within our nation right now. And probably the one that, that jumps out at me the most and the one that is the most sad is this. Manessa, one of the most horrendous things he did was he burned his children in a sacrifice. He would take them and, and they would pass them through, uh, through the fire. M meant they would, they would actually burn them alive and, and sacrifice them to false gods. And I just wonder how God feels about the many, 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 many abortions that have taken place in this nation since the time of the early 70s. And, and is it the same thing? Well, you'll have to be the judge of that. Is it meant to be offered up to a false god? Maybe not directly like it was in the days of Manasseh, but yet I wonder how many are aborted because of convenience, um, because it's hard to have them for all kinds of reasons. And, and it's still a life, an innocent life that is taken. Um, is America dealing with any sins similar to those of Manasseh? Yeah, I think so. And probably with a little bit of effort, we could come up with a lot of other analogies and comparisons that are going on there. Next week, we're going to pick this up again. We will go deeper into Second, First, Second Kings uh, and First and Second Chronicles. We're going to go on through the life of Manasseh and some of the kings that followed after him. And we're going to continue to find application as we go along. Hey guys, appreciate you. Appreciate your coming on and being a part of our study tonight. I hope out of all this, um, something spoke to you. The Holy Spirit spoke to you as we've we've studied this together. Uh, please continue to pray for our nation. We have an election coming up. I think you guys have probably heard about this uh, prior to our next Bible study, as a matter of fact. So please continue to pray for our nation. God's will be done. Uh, whatever that may look like, God, let your will be done. Uh, so continue to do that as well. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Uh, learn from history. Let's learn from history that we do not have to repeat it uh, anytime soon because I want to see America blessed and not have to deal with the consequences of choosing to walk away from God. You guys have a great, great week. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday. If not, please jump on our, our feed on our, our Souls Harbor uh, Plainfield page and uh, tune in that way. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.